My next guest is Jim Schmiegel, Chief Investment Officer at SEI, who currently manages or administers some $1.3 trillion in assets. And back in May, they made their ETF debut. They entered the ETF arena by launching their first four ETFs. These are all factor-based ETFs. They're all actively managed. And they're all extremely low cost, 15 basis points, which I'm sure we'll get into. I now have uh, Jim on the line with me. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. All right. So look, even though you do have some $1.3 trillion in assets under management or advisement, my sense is that not everyone is familiar with SEI, especially I think in the more ETF-focused crowd. So I thought a good place to start would be just give us a quick snapshot of who SEI is for people unfamiliar with the firm. Sure. Happy to do that. Uh, as you say, it's not too surprising. We do tend to uh, kind of act in the, in the background in a lot of different ways. First and foremost, a lot of those numbers that you put out is really from our administration business. So we do do an awful lot of asset administration, including uh, quite a bit on the ETF side where, where we're kind of in the background doing the kind of back office administration for ETFs. Uh, but we do. We are active managers uh, in an OCIO context, meaning an outsourced CIO. So we work with independent investment advisors. We work with large pensions and endowments, providing uh, full, actively managed uh, advice solutions uh, for them. That business is roughly about two hundred or so billion dollars. Uh, within that, particularly on the advisor space, we're also an ETF strategist. This is something that. We've been involved in for uh, quite some time, and we run about $12 billion as an, as an ETF strategist. Most of those ETFs underlying that program are of the passive nature, uh, so this foray for us is a, is, a, is a bit different, but hopefully that gives you uh, a little bit background in SEI and uh, a little bit more understanding as to where I'm coming from. Yeah, so in terms of this foray, let's talk about the decision to enter the ETF market at this point, of course, under your own brand. And, you know, I think just taking a step back, obviously ETFs have been around for, you know, what, nearly 30 years. There's now nearly 3,000 U.S. listed products. Why enter the space now? What was the uh, impetus? I think it was a it was a bunch of, of different things. As, as I mentioned, you know, we we've certainly been in, involved in the space uh, for 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 quite some time, mostly from an administration and from a strategist perspective. Uh, but our uh, internal quantitative equity uh, asset manager, uh, we've been running uh, internally managed uh, quantitative equities in a, in a factor perspective for quite some time now. It, it's really just a confluence of events. We feel as though those strategies have matured enough and have. Uh, excellent track records uh, and the and the comfort and the and the market we we felt as though it reached a point in time where utilizing ETFs in an account where you're also utilizing mutual funds and maybe separately managed accounts these kind of this hybrid nature that we see with high net worth individuals I think we've just reached a point where we felt as though what are we what are we waiting for anymore uh, let's use our quantitative equity strategies which we think are are really unique. And there's a there's a, a there's a niche for them to play in this space. Uh, we thought the opportunity was good, and we decided to go ahead and take it. Well, let's talk about those strategies. So, as I mentioned, you currently offer four ETFs. These all cover the large cap U.S. equity space. Uh, but again, you're pursuing different factor exposure with each of these. So, let me rattle these off for listeners. There's the SEI Enhanced U.S. Large Cap Quality Factor ETF ticker SEIQ. There's a Momentum Factor ETF ticker SEIM a value factor ETF, ticker SEIV, and then a uh, low volatility ETF, ticker SELV. 
Which, by the way, Jim, I love how you uh, work the SEI brand into these ticker symbols. <laughs> you don't always see that, right? Because it's not easy to do for a lot of uh, ETF issuers. But nice work on that. Look, yeah, thanks. Especially now, as you said, with 3,000 or so tickers out there, yeah. we were shocked they were all still available. I love that. But look, let's let's maybe take the value factor ETF. I'll just pick that one because value is finally showing some uh, meaningful outperformance versus growth right after a long period of underperformance. So explain how you're gaining exposure to the value factor. Yeah, so the value the value ETF, SEIV, just like the rest of them, the first thing I would just emphasize here is that these are actively managed products. So we're no different than any other quantitative equity manager out there. Uh, we are looking at this through that kind of active lens. A lot of the factor ETFs that you'll find out there are, and this isn't a knock on them, they, they definitely serve a purpose, but they're, they're relatively simplistic. They're, they're completely kind of systematic. They may use one or maybe two uh, kind of inputs to their factor construction, some that we're all, all very, very familiar with, price to book or price to earnings, uh, really in a, from a historical perspective, not necessarily a forward-looking perspective. We're constructing this ETF to be value-focused, and we're constructing it to be extremely diversified. So the inputs to creating uh, our value exposure are much more advanced than what you'll find in the marketplace. There's multiple inputs. They're actively managed inputs, so they're inputs that are going to evolve over time. I mean, if we think about the history of, of factor investing, you know, it goes back all the way to Fama French, we're talking about 30 years ago, um, and, of, and, of, and of course, uh, seminal uh, papers being, being written on these things. But you know, the market does you know, tend to change. The market does evolve. There's better ways to approach these things. You know, the kind of companies that were around 30 years ago, very asset-heavy, aren't necessarily the kind of companies that are around today, which may be more uh, asset-light. And, you know, there's also situations such as COVID where, you know, kind of looking at, you know, price to earnings or, or price to book in a historical perspective, you know, can, can cause a little bit of issues when you have uh, a very short and sharp, sharp drop in the market like we saw in 2020. Uh, when we think our approach, which is extremely diversified, using multiple metrics to construct our value exposure, we think is, is the better way to go. In that description, I really hear you emphasizing the active management. Well, let's pull on that thread just a little bit. I mean, how much active discretion is there in these ETFs? And I know you're leaning heavily on the quant side for, for some of the, the inputs here, but how much manager discretion is there at the end of the day? So they, we like to, they are fully active. However, it is a quantitative approach. So we have, a, we have quantitative models, and, and those models that we use, we use to construct each of these factor exposures you know, it's, it's also worth kind of, kind of pointing out that factors, I mean, I think the, the end investor is just now kind of getting comfortable with what we even mean by factors, right? There's a, there's a way of organizing an index, which is by market capitalization, and there's other ways of organizing indices by these other exposures that we're talking about. But it, it, it is important to emphasize these things aren't necessarily independent of one another. So, you know, they might be independent in terms of construction, meaning that if you're taking a simplistic approach to creating a value ETF by looking at uh, kind of price to earnings, you, you're looking at it and constructing it through a value lens. But the realization is you're getting other exposures in there, right? So let, let's take a like where we are today. You can imagine that up until recently, the energy sector had quite a bit of momentum behind it. But it, honestly, it was also a, still a value sector if you look at it from a pure PE perspective. 
So these things aren't mutually exclusive. So the active component here comes in not only in the identification and evolution of the inputs that we use to construct our, our factors, but also the recognition of the other exposures that we're getting in this particular ETF. So you know, that can be something like, we know that we're gonna get a little bit of momentum with our value, just based on what's happening in the market. We might be getting a little bit of quality, even low volatility. There's low volatility names that are value as well, and there's high volatility names that are value. We can actively manage all of these to make sure that the majority of the exposure that you're getting in these ETFs is value exposure, but that you're also getting positive exposure to the other factors that we make, uh, that we think make sense longer term, and therefore you have a diversified um, collection uh, of uh, equity factors that we think pay off over the longer term, but has a clear and distinct focus on those uh, that are mentioned in the, in the headline and in the name of the ETF. Lastly, in terms of discretion, look, there are always going to be those situations that pop up. And, you know, we're, it, it, COVID gives us tons of examples of all of these things. The GameStop examples, the Peloton examples, where if you do any kind of quantitative work, these things will pop up from time to time. And look, we need to ask ourselves, when those situations arise, do we want to include them in the portfolio? Those are the kind of one-offs where we'll take discretion and we'll definitely uh, exclude them or minimize their impact from the portfolio. But in general, the active management here is in the creation of the inputs and more importantly, the evolution of the inputs going forward. One thing I'm curious about here, you know, anytime I see a new ETF issuer, and especially one that has a, a long established history in active mutual funds or, or SMAs, I'm always curious, did you consider the non-transparent ETF wrapper at all? Were you concerned at all about putting your secret sauce out where everyone can see it? We weren't, we weren't necessarily concerned. It's, 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 a, it's a really interesting topic because what's, what's fascinating about it is if you isolate the actively managed ETFs, you know, the percentage that go the transparent route is, is about 90 plus percent. So it's it's kind of we felt as though we weren't we weren't terribly concerned and we felt as though the industry itself has kind of settled the question more or less that transparency is is better and we're happy to be fully transparent. We feel as though that our process is still going to be fairly difficult to replicate. Yes, if the they're going to be available, the holdings will be available, they'll be available often. Uh, but we feel as though you're still going to be missing that special sauce that we bring to bear. Uh, in in our models and in the uh, evolution of those models, and it'll be very difficult uh, uh, for uh, an end client to 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 kind of copy and try to do that on their own. It, in addition, this this kind of gets back to your earlier point in the introduction, which is, you know, we think these are really really attractively priced, and the motivation is just is just not there. No, I love. I mean, the fifteen basis points really stood out to me, and. I, I was thinking about the factor-based ETF space overall, which I, I think you were alluding to this a bit earlier. This is a pretty crowded space, right? There are a lot of offerings here. And I, th I think you've done a really great job of laying out the active management component. But when you have that and you combine that with 15 basis points on the cost, that, that's a big deal because you're getting into the index-based price range on that. So do you want to talk a little bit more about how you price these ETFs? I think that's an important point. Yeah, we think, you know, I, I, I would just echo exactly what you said. We, we, we think we're making a very bold statement here, uh, you know, to the market saying, look, 
um, why, why would you pay for something that is incredibly simplistic, that uses one or two inputs, that rebalances itself maybe twice a year, that doesn't have the ability to take discretion when anomalies arise, uh, that doesn't really even look at the overall risk posture of the portfolio. We haven't even talked about the risk controls that we have in place. Uh, why, why would you pay 15 basis points for that if that is available to you, uh, in an, all of that is available, in, in a structure for the same cost? So, you know, could we have charged 20 basis points? Could we have charged 25 basis points? I think we easily could have. Very, very justified. But, you know, as you mentioned, it's a crowded space. Uh, we're a new contender to be managing our own ETFs, and we want to make a statement to investors out there to say, look, this is actively managed, uh, and we think this is really, really good value for your money. Uh, why, why pay for a simplistic approach when you can have an active approach for the same price? I know you're not going to give us your entire uh, ETF playbook moving forward here, but can you tell us anything more about the future ETF roadmap for SEI in terms of what type of ETF business you're hoping to build out? I mean, you just walked through, obviously, the active management component. We talked about fees. It's interesting from my perspective because I look at SEI and I think about the opportunity on the RIA custody side. You mentioned uh, you know, ETF model portfolios. I see that as a potential distribution channel. I'd love to just hear higher level how you look at building out this ETF business. Yeah, we are. We're spending a whole lot of time thinking about that, and and honestly, we have a we have a multi-tiered approach. We our our quant equity team we think is extremely special. It's very very unique. Uh, we certainly uh, can can see an area of building out this team's capabilities by other asset classes, uh, not just U.S. So you know here we have this factor orientation, but it is dominated in the U.S. So taking that globally, taking that even into emerging markets is certainly on the table. I think the theme you'll hear from us uh, um, across any uh, avenue that we uh, decide to go down is active management. Uh, and the one, the one area which we think is very interesting at this point is the multi-managed ETF. So this is something that is not really on the horizon. Uh, we have been a manager of managers for quite some time, uh, and it's, uh, that's an area that we think is, uh, again, pretty unique. Uh, it hasn't really been done to any extent in the space, uh, and we think w- there's there's a there's a there's a lot of uh, of uh, ways that we can kind of carve out a niche in the multi-managed ETF space, and that's something we're exploring quite a bit right now. Jim, just a few minutes left here. Obviously, you are the chief investment officer at SCI, so you're clearly involved with more than just the the ETF business, right? You oversee the firm's entire investment research and implementation, asset allocation. If you don't mind, I'd love to hear your quick thoughts on the current equity markets right now. Like what has your attention? What's keeping you up at night? What, what are a few things you think investors should be watching for right now? It's, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's such an extremely unusual uh, point in time. We, you know, we're, we're at this point where the, you know, the market is really deciding uh, between whether or not we're going to be in to a kind of a reflationary environment or if we're going to fall fully into a stagflationary environment. Uh, you know, I think you know, the, 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 the adjustment that the market has made just in the last two weeks has been, has been pretty, pretty amazing, very, very quick seems to really have adopted a negative tone. While I certainly think that uh, there's a good potential that we are going to have a, we're going to print a technical recession here uh, with 2Q numbers, 
uh, we think it's going to be somewhat shallow. So the, the remainder of 2022, we actually have probably a slightly more positive outlook than what the market is currently pricing in. Uh, that said, uh, we do think that there's plenty of challenges uh, on the horizon. Uh, we are in the stubborn inflation camp. We do think the Fed is going to remain hawkish. But again, if we look at uh, what our view is from an economic and from a monetary policy perspective relative to what the market has priced in, uh, we actually uh, are looking for a bit of a rally here uh, to finish out um, uh, the uh, summer, well, to maybe kick off and, and start really the, the, the true summer with the 4th of July behind us. Um, so summer season, we, we think we have a, a room to move a bit higher uh, as we get into the fall and in the winter season, things might get a little bit more uh, a little bit more shaky once again. But we're going to take the over, uh, given how far the market has repriced. Well, Jim, excellent perspective. Congratulations on the launch of the ETF lineup. Certainly wish you the, the, the best of luck moving forward. Thank you for joining me. Thanks very much for uh, all the time today. That was Jim Schmeagel, Chief Investment Officer at SEI.